Okay, Psalm 144. I'm going to read it and then we'll jump into it. Psalm 144 of David. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners, whose mouth speaks lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp I will play to you who gives victory to kings, who rescues David his servant from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners, whose mouth speaks lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons and their youth be like plants full grown. Our daughters are like corner pillars cut from the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Amen. Amen. So I think these are all connected. Sometimes they're loosely connected. Sometimes they're tight, but this is connected. Um, I honestly chose this one because of the first two verses. I thought, that could preach. And I could preach a lot of different ways. Uh, but I want, really, I'm only going to focus on the first two verses. I'll touch here and there on the rest, but there's too much here to get through in 15, 20 minutes. But I think the heart of this is right here in the first couple of verses. So I want to kind of focus in right here. But what we need to recognize right here in the first verse, brethren, that I think, as Nick just said, we are going to sing this afterwards, and there's going to be things we sing in the psalm that ought to be somewhat jarring to your modern sensibilities, and one of those would be that God teaches people how to fight. Right? It says it right there at the beginning. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Brethren, God teaches people how to fight, and which to our sensibilities, as I just said, seems like a great contradiction, right? Because the great God of love, which the Bible does portray, is also the great God of war. That same God of love is the great God of war. And brethren, yet... Make no mistake, God is not like us, and whatever hesitation that we have about God in the Scripture fighting and waging war is only due to our shortcomings, not to God's shortcomings. God's not flawed, brethren. He doesn't get fits or spasms, and that's why He gets angry. The Bible says God is love. Brethren, His throne, as the psalmist says, His throne is established on what? Justice in righteousness, and He rules in equity. So when God marches out in war, brethren, you can be sure, truth follows in His train. God is not a liar or deceiver or false for going out and waging war. And in this psalm, you see that superscription right up there at the top of David. Now, I would really love to go into why that's placed right here, but I can't. But suffice it to say, it's here for a purpose And I don't think there's anybody else who could utter the words that the psalmist does than David. He may be 
David probably knows this better than anybody in the Old Testament, that God is a God of war, and that that God trained His hands for war. Listen, brethren, David knew of Yahweh's love, I think in a way that as you read the Old Testament, stands out as a unique situation in the Old Testament. And I know talking about this with Nick and, and going through Romans about what Romans is about is David is just, he is unique. I mean, I know Abraham's the father of faith, but the, I feel like the essence of that faith is David. David's doing everything he's not supposed to do, and he does it all by faith. And so I think we see that here later in verse 2. But let's point out this first one, all right? Because I, I think right here is where we need to make sure that we're being clear as, as to why David can say God trains his hands for war. And he tells you right here, brethren, in verse 2, and in no uncertain terms, David's hands are trained for war because Yahweh's love taught him war. Yahweh's love taught him war, and it was his love that was his shield in victory. David won and was trained in winning because Yahweh was his steadfast love. And brethren, listen. This means David had learned this from Yahweh. And we get this all throughout David's life. David was a man of war, but he was a man of war because Yahweh taught him. Here is a section here from Samuel. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated before Saul, and they sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul responds back to him. He says, Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth, and he has been a what? A man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, and he answers him back here. He's kind of rebuking him in this charge right here. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me... I caught him by his beard and struck and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And then David responds with this, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And it's enough of an answer that Saul turns to him and says, Go, the Lord be with you. And you know what? How you can boil that instance down for David in his life, right here in his youth, right after he's anointed brother. He doesn't have the ability to fight on behalf of God and for God and be trained by God only when he has the Spirit. David has been trained even in his youth. He answers back to him and says, Oh, Goliath's been trained from, since uh, his youth to be trained in war. So have I. I have done what he says later in Psalm 8, that he's ruling over these beasts of the earth, these beasts of the field. He is this dominion taker. And he goes, Yahweh's trained me up from my youth to be a warrior. And you know what? Saul goes, great, the Lord be with you, because he's been with you, apparently. But this wasn't just one thing for David. David didn't have one training lesson in this as a youth, and then he gets put into this position David is characterized as a man of war, not even in his youth, but his whole life is characterized by warfare. It says here in 1 Chronicles, 
Then he called for Solomon his son. This is speaking of, of David. Called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, and here's what God says in response to David's desire. He says, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You should not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies. So, not only David in his youth has he learned how to fight and he's learned war from God himself, God tells him, you can't do the thing that you desire. Though it be a good desire, I'll give you a son to do it because you have fought and waged war so much. You've shed so much blood. And brethren, we have to look at that and go, God is not condemning David here. He's not going, oh no, David, you disobeyed me all those times you went out and shed Amalekite blood or Jebusite blood or whatever it is. He's not rebuking him. And we need to be able to look at that and go, wow, God commended David by saying, your son will do it. And David went out and shed a whole lot of blood on behalf of God, and he did it rightly. Brethren, this same God who made war with David, who trained David up, is the same God back further in the Old Testament, and the same one that we have here in the New Testament. You think of God who waged war against the earth, against Noah, and against the earth when He sent mighty floodwaters. Have you ever paid attention to what you know, we always talk about how beautiful the rainbow is, and don't get me wrong, the rainbow is beautiful. And it's, it, I, I always talk about it like this, it's like the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon's beautiful, but it got there out of a very unbeautiful way. These floodwaters carved out this canyon, a part of God's judgment. Brethren, the same thing with that bow you see in the sky. Brethren, it's no cute princess rainbow. It is a war bow hanging in the sky as a reminder to you that God is not going to come and destroy all the earth again. This is in Genesis 9, and God said, this, he's speaking of, of the rainbow in the sky. This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all the earth. And brethren, you get that same language in the, in the Psalms. The thing is there in Psalm 7, David is speaking of God, and he says, you know what you do, Yahweh? You ready your bow for war. You make your arrows sharp and ready to pierce the wicked and to sink them through. Brethren, God has a war bow, and David often calls upon God to fight on his behalf. He is a God of war. David has learned from the Old Testament and in his own life, God trains his hands for war. You get this with Moses in that song that we sing, the, 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 the Exodus song that we sing. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and His host, who cast it into the sea, brethren? God cast it into the sea. And His chosen officers, they were sunk in the Red Sea by who? They were sunk by Yahweh. God threw them into the sea. The floods covered them. 
They went down into the depths like a stone. God shot his war bow, brethren. The waters came upon the Egyptians, and you could just picture God was like a, a character. He had bent his bow and shot an arrow right through the heart of Pharaoh and his army. That's what he did when he covered them. It says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, who's responsible for this, shatters the enemy. So, brethren, we need to remember. We need to remember this truth. This is a hard truth. But this also is a good truth. David is recounting it here and he says, Blessed be Yahweh. That God ought to be blessed because He trains my hands for war. Brother, we need to remember that what God does in warfare is not some fit of rage and it's not because God doesn't get what He wants. God is jealous for His name. God is jealous for the world to be His, for the nations to come up to His. So when God wages warfare, brethren, He is waging conquest. He is going out and scattering His enemies. He is planting His people so that they would flourish. And this is the thing that compels a conquest right here. And this is what David grounds us in here in verse 2. David is the great knower of this verse right here. Yes, he knows verse 1. God, you trained my hands for war. But he knows verse 2 like nobody else in the Old Testament. David says of Yahweh that the one who trained his hands for war, brethren, is the one who is his steadfast love. Now we hear that word all the time in the Psalms. Yahweh, your steadfast love upholds me. Your steadfast love is, 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 is a nourishment to me. Steadfast love is always kind of pictured as this uh, thing that actually moves. It's like personified. Lord, Lord your, your love, it, it's like it moves and has its way. It comforts me. It does all this thing for me. And uh, this, this right here though, when he says your steadfast love, he says, He is my steadfast love. He's not pointing to something God has promised through the covenant, through coming through Moses. He is looking at God and saying, God, you are my steadfast love. And brother, that thing ought to floor us. It, no, and I'll give you one commentary. This is how he puts it. This statement right here knows no other statement in the entirety of the Old Testament. This is how one person put it. David makes a bold and original declaration here in verse 2. Commentator goes on to say, I know of no other place in the Old Testament where someone speaks of Yahweh this way. Yahweh doesn't just promise steadfast love, nor has David merely experienced the steadfast love of God through the covenant. Yahweh Himself has now become David's steadfast love. This is the means by which he has learned war from God. God is his steadfast love. Brother, you just, I don't even know how to put that more into any other words to explain that to you. David in the Old Testament says he is. God himself is my steadfast love. That is where he grounds his hands being trained for war in. And I only know of one other verse that echoes that in the entirety of the Bible, brother, and it's in the New Testament. 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. Yahweh became our steadfast love in Jesus Christ. That's how we love. 
That's how we've learned how to love. That's how we have been able to give love to others and to express love to other people. Because Yahweh Himself not only loved us, brethren, He became love for us. He is our source of love. He is it. And this is important to think because this gives us two things that we can look at with how David says, trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He's my steadfast love, my fortress, my stronghold, deliverer, my shield, and whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. David's hands here are trained for war in two ways, brethren. Both because Yahweh is steadfast love for David. He is steadfast love. And because Yahweh's steadfast love has caused David to be trained in war. So let me explain both of those two. So the first one would be David's hands, the way they get trained to wage war and battle in his life is because, first of all, God is steadfast love. And, and, you, and you get this idea, brother, when we talk about the glory of God, when we talk about what does it mean, when we, when we repeat the psalmist and say, Lord, let the light of your face shine upon us, what are we asking God to do? Are we looking for a bright light to come and shine upon our face to know God shone His light on me? I want a light source to come from the sky and to shine upon me. But Yahweh tells Moses in Exodus 34 what it means to reveal, to be able to see, to let the light of God's glory shine upon Him in, in chapter 34. It says Exodus 34, 6-7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. This is proclaiming his glory. Moses said, I want to see it. And Yahweh says, here it is. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh. You remember, Yahweh, Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious. Here's his glory, brethren. Slow to anger. What does God abound up in? Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and keeping steadfast love for faithfulness. And brethren, the reason that truth can be is because the New Testament makes it clear, God is love. The reason God can be so faithful to His own steadfast commitment to His people, because He Himself is that love. He's bound Himself. There's no other thing He can bind, brethren. He has bound Himself to that. And David has learned right here that the first thing that has trained his hand in war is that he knows that God is steadfast love. He knows that God's glory is expressed in that singular reason. I am steadfast love. You get this here in Psalm 4. David's actually learned this. This is how he's able to talk about this in Psalm 144. He's learned this in his life. Psalm 4, there are many who say, who will show us some good? And then David responds, Oh, I'll tell you, show us some good. Lord, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have, listen, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when they're grain and wine. Brown brethren, he's calling upon God to do something he has experienced. God, lift up the light of your face again. Let it shine upon me because that is your steadfast love, your, your faithfulness. You are my source of steadfast love. You are it. Shine that upon me. Brethren, because when God, or excuse me, when David has seen God's goodness, which is his steadfast love, the light of his face shines upon him. This is how David responds in Psalm 139. Listen to this connection. That with, with the response that David learns, and this may seem like a weird connection, 
But the response David learns from seeing and experiencing God as his steadfast love is this. Psalm 139. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Of men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. And brethren, that is because right before that, you know what comes before that in 17? He says, Lord, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Brethren, God has re- er, David has reflected upon God, Yahweh, as his steadfast love. And when he sees God's enemies, look at Yahweh, who is steadfast love, the very essence of love. You know what David's response is? I hate them because they hate you. Because they hate love, brethren. They hate him. They look at Yahweh and they say, the steadfast love, we hate him. And David says, he is steadfast love. I hate those who hate you, God. And that is not David trying to pick a fight, David trying to quarrel. Brethren, David has learned to love the very thing you ought to love and we ought to love in here. Brethren, if we love God, there will be things in this fallen world where we say, I hate those things with perfect hatred because those things hate the very thing we ought to love. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Put, put in there, do I not hate those who hate you, O oh God who is love? Brother, when people hate something like that, the essence and epitome and center of love, when they hate God and they don't submit to Him, you have to be convinced of that truth. David is not wanting his hand trained in war because he's like Joab, just a man thirsty for blood. David was not a bloodthirsty man, brethren. He slew all those people and prayed to God, I'm a righteous man, Lord. I've always upheld your law. My hands are clean. (laughs) He can say that. Why? Because he did it in faith, knowing God is his steadfast love. And when they hate God, brethren, they're hating love. You think about that. Why do you stand out at the abortion clinic? Brethren, they hate the children we hold. And they hate your God more than that. And David is not saying this to be flippant and easygoing about harsh rhetoric. He says, God, I hate them because they hate you. The one who's shown his steadfast love upon him, he didn't deserve it. And he says, Lord, I hate those who even hate you. How could they hate steadfast love? Brother, that's what he is. He is our steadfast love. Brother, it was Yahweh's love that not only taught David what he ought to love and what he ought to eat, it was Yahweh's love that taught David to fight. Brother, what you love, which usually the saying goes, you fight for the things that stand behind you. You have things behind you you're willing to protect because you love them. And why you charge forward in battle is so the things behind you stay protective. And Yahweh's love taught David to fight. He trained him, brethren, for holy war. And you can hear this in Psalm 2. This like really just paints this in a much broader... This is not just some, alright, I'm going to declare David's going to be the one to smash all of his enemies. You think about this. He's learned Yahweh's love 
And God told him in 2 Samuel 7, David, you will be a son to me. I will be a father to you. I have given you my steadfast love. And David is now recounting the promise of God when Psalm 2 is being penned. Yahweh, who is my steadfast love, He said this to me. I will be a king, and He will be my God. And I will have the nations. So the nations ought to come up and say, we're yours. And when they buck, they are bucking at the one who is steadfast love, which is why David pins this in Psalm 2. He who sits in the heavens, what? Laughs. And the Lord holds them in derision. Derision for what? Why does the Lord hold the nations in derision? Brother, because they're violating the terms of, of the covenant that God gave to David. He is His steadfast love. He cannot fail to upkeep His promise in this. It says that God will speak to them in His wrath, terrify them in His fury, saying, I always thought this was so weird at first. When, when the psalmist says, say, I want you to think about it like this. Let me interpret this for you. So right before that it says, then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury. Those are two parallel statements. How will Yahweh speak in wrath? And how will Yahweh terrify these insolent, divisive nations coming up against Yahweh? He says, here's the word being spoken. This is how Yahweh will rebuke them in wrath. This is how He does it. This sounds kind of weird. As for me... I've set my king in Zion, my holy hill. He's saying, it's a done deal. I have set my steadfast love on David in his house. I've set my king in Zion. That is his wrathful rebuke to the nations. It's a done deal. And then David comes in because the quotation ends. Now David comes in and says, I'll tell you what the king told me. I'll tell you about his steadfast love toward me. The Lord, Yahweh, said to me, this is David, obviously Jesus Christ sits in this as the center, but David is saying, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of earth your possession. And then, here's what, here's what Yahweh told David, you shall. Who's going to do the... How is God's wrath going to pour out? God's judgment and His, and His taking care of His enemies. It's going to be through David. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And then here's, here's David wrapping this up. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. This just is crazy how this goes back and forth between the Son and Yahweh. Kiss the Son. Kiss David. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his, I think this is speaking of, of, of the Son, his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Brethren, as we consider that then in Psalm 144, we need to consider the reason he, David was such a man of war how he could say, Blessed be Yahweh, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. It's because David learned, you are steadfast love. And your steadfast love has caused me to go and to love the things you love and to hate the things you hate. 
And brethren, while our warfare might be different, we are nonetheless engaged in warfare as the New Testament holds out for us. Our battle no longer is against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places, brethren. And we are maintaining and we are waging a far greater battle than David did against Jebusites in Jerusalem. And we need to be convinced of this though. We don't want to look too far as Nick said and we need to find where does our hope come from? Our hope comes from the Lord. And as we fight, brethren, those need to be of top of mind because David is not fighting because he loves the fight. David fights because he loves the one who is love. David loves Yahweh, brethren. And the question that only comes to you at the end of this is, is he my steadfast love? Is he my fortress? Is he my shield in whom I take refuge? The one who will subdue peoples under our feet. Brethren, if that is the case, he will train our hands up for war. But instead of removing nations, brethren, we will gather them in. So let us cry out to God now in prayer and say, Lord, train my hands for war. Let's pray.